Hello, and welcome back to the Naked Security Podcast. I'm Kimberly Trung, and to my virtual left, I've got Doug Amith. I need <laughs> oh. a haircut. Oh. So bad. Oh, I didn't, I wasn't saying like I, like I, I. Like, I, this, I, I thought you were saying like I, I, Captain. I got one pandemic uh, corona cut by my wife, and uh, she cut it so short. You, you never want your barber saying oops and laughing as <laughs> they're cutting your hair. So... I'm I'm reticent to get a second cut, but I need to. So when did your lockdown start? April, March. Yeah, and, and if your hair was cut to essentially a number zero at that point, it can't have grown long enough since then to be troublesome, can it? The bat grows like a weed, so I've got like a, mu- a constant mullet. We discussed mullets the other day, and we figured that they were great. No. Mullets. No mullets. If you were wondering who that third voice is, I will properly introduce him now. To my virtual right is Paul Ducklin. Hello, everybody. Kimberly, how each week, how, I notice that Doug and I sometimes swap from left to right and right to left. How do you know who's on which side? Geographically, we're both to your left. Unless you're going to go across Asia to get to Paul, then he's on your right. As you look at the map, I'm on the right. Well, if Kim's facing outward of the map. Yeah, technically you both. I mean, I guess it depends on which way I'm pointing. Am I pointing north or yeah. south? You right? need a compass. <laughs> so. This is way too... Yeah, I think, guys, I think we need to avoid right and left in the current climate. We need to talk about east yeah. and west. <laughs> mm, yep. <laughs> yeah, let's please. Uh, moving on, we have some news headlines for you happening in cybersecurity. Doug, what's happening? Well, Kim, I got some breaking news. <laughs> this had better oh, be good. Right before we went, we record this podcast on Wednesday, and right before we uh, went on the air, so to speak, Paul published a story. Uh, last week, we talked about a desktop Chrome browser bug that needed to be patched immediately. Then this week, we hear about another vital update just when you thought it was safe to update to version 86.0.4240.111. You should now look to update to version 86.0.4240.183. Where does it end? Oh, and there's more. There is. If you're using Chrome <laughs> on Android, there's an Android-specific Chrome bug, and you should update to version 86.0.4240.185 to channel the great Susan Powder. Stop the insanity. Oi. Oh, what's going on? Yes, those numbers are very catchy, aren't they? Um, but it isn't the previous Chrome zero-day bug story, which was seemed that that update was predominantly for Windows, Linux, and Mac. And a lot of people asked us back a week or two ago, but what about Android? And we weren't quite sure because it wasn't clear whether those bugs applied to Android. This time... As you say, Doug, there's a sort of there's a new update that you need for Windows, Linux, and Mac, and there's a new new update, the .185 version that you definitely need for Android. Um, but all Google's saying about it is um, that we are aware of reports that an exploit for this CVE 2020-16010, which is Android specific, it seems, exists in the wild. Um, and that's all that, that they've been very tight-lipped about it. You can't get any there. They've got the patch. Um, and unfortunately, it has that usual wisd- Android wisdom from Google that says, the great news is that the, the new version will become available on Google Play over the next few weeks, which sounds rather long so- if you have to update now. So go to the... Go to Google Play and check what the version is for your phone. If you see it ends with that .185, then you're already golden. If not, 
then you know I, I don't really know what to advise you. We have got some instructions on nakedsecuda.sophos.com about how you could switch to another browser temporarily if you wanted, e.g. Firefox, which does not use the same source code, and then how you can tell the system to use that alternative browser. Because of course, Chrome, like Safari on iPhones, Chrome kind of comes along with Android. So you can't actually uninstall it. You can only turn it off temporarily. So you have been warned. That's public order announcement. You have been warned. Uh, before I get to the headlines, though, I would be remiss if I didn't let Kim tease the Ono of the week, because this one's a doozy. Oh, yeah. I mean, let's just say it has to do with the delete button. That's all I'm going to say. Stick around to the end of the episode to hear the Ono of the week. All right, stick around for that. Uh, as far as the headlines go, we're going to talk about three things today. Adobe Flash, it's the end of the end of the end of the road at last. Is it really, Doug? I don't know, not really. So, uh, We're going to talk about Boer Loader, Malware as a Service, which joins Emotet for ransomware delivery. And then we've got a reader question about Google Images. So Ooh. that'll be something to dig into. But first... Y'all might think the word y'all started in the deep south here in the United States of America, but did y'all know the earliest known use of y'all was from the English scholar William Lyle in 1631, who said, The captive men of strength I gave to you, the weaker sold, and this y'all know is true. Fun fact. So oh. I'm guessing it was a ye all. Do you guys ever ponder if you are the first person or the only person in the world to have said a particular set of words together? Constantly. I <laughs> I constantly ponder this. Like a, like if you have uh, created a neologism. What is it's that? when you're the first person to say something. It means a new word, literally. Oh. And the big contributors to the English language over the years have been uh, Milton, the poet, and of course, the late great Mr. William Shakespeare, who coined mm. a huge number of words, uh, many of which, you know, they appeared in his plays and they never caught on and they've died out. And others of which we just, phrases that we just, that just stuck. And I guess that's the way with language, right? Paul, you are quite the wordsmith. Yeah, you got a way with words, Paul. You've got a way with words. Mm. And here's the thing I'm going to say. Got a Bill Shakespeare here. I do my Ono of the Week. Mm -hmm. Doug does his fun fact. Mm -hmm. But Doug, you are a poet. We have asked of you to do a poem as a segment, a part of the podcast. And we have yet to see you carry through. Yeah, come on, do a poem. We, yeah, we want, we want a poem. Come on, what gives? I may have responded rather abruptly by refusing to do it. <laughs> but I, I can explain. And... I'm afraid that it's it's all down to a fellow we'll simply call Doug, who seems to think that I'm some sort of mug. Forget talking, he said. We need poems instead. But he's wrong, and that makes me feel smug. I think that was – yeah, snap it up. Snapping it up. I, somehow I feel like he was talking about me. but <laughs> No, not at all. Uh, what is our first news story, actual news story of uh, – the podcast. Yeah. Goodbye, Flash. We hardly knew ye, except <gasps> we've known ye for what seems like forever, and we've been trying to break up with you for what seems like even longer. Goodbye, Homestar Runner. I agree, coincidentally, with the commenter in this article who said Homestar Runner was the best use of Flash ever. That's not opinion. That's just fact. Goodbye, <laughs> casual gaming sites that haven't been updated since Obama's first term. Goodbye, <laughs> unskippable website intro animations, wherever you are. 
Anywho, Microsoft says it'll be removing Flash from Windows on December 31st, 2020 with an uninstallable update. So many questions packed into this article, Paul, but mm -hmm. I have two right off the bat. First question is, how many uninstallable Windows updates do you remember over your many years in this industry? And second question is, what about Macs and workarounds and all that kind of stuff? Yes, this is intriguing, isn't it? That a lot of the time people go, oh, I installed this Microsoft update. They begged me to, and then I couldn't roll it back, and my printer broke, and I don't like updates. But this one, Microsoft, act, they actually make a point. It's 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 almost like a it's like the shining beacon. Said, by the way, this is so you've got a reason that you can go to your users and say we've a, we've removed Flash because it officially dies at twenty three fifty nine fifty nine on the last day of twenty twenty, and. The only way you can get Flash back is we have to wipe your computer and reinstall Windows. They actually say that. If basically, when you apply the update, it gets rid of Flash. It's game over, and literally and figuratively. And if you want Flash back, you either have to use a restore point, which is basically you know revert the system to what it was before, losing anything that you've added in between, and or as they say, reinstall Windows. And sort of hats off to them because. As you say, Flash had its day, and that day was very many years ago. What iPhones haven't had Flash for a decade, Android for almost as long. Browsers, I can't remember a website that needed Flash that I've had to use. The last one that I had to use, that I needed Flash, switched to HTML5 perhaps two or three years ago when Adobe first and finally said, look, guys, we've been meaning to kill this for ages. You haven't let us. But in 2017, they said you have three and a half years left. And that time's coming soon. Yeah, and clearly there's going to be, I mean, there's got to be an easier way than re-imaging your computer or using a restore point. There's got, there's, I mean, we have commenters mentor, uh, mentioning EarthenView and other sorts of things. There's, there's going to be other ways to access Flash if you really, really want it, right? You have to install a third part, third-party software and its associated risks. But I guess Microsoft is doing now for Flash what Apple did many years ago with Java in the browser. Just said, you know what, we're actually turfing it out, and they did not get a complaint from Oracle. Oracle said, yep, we want to, the direction we want to go is Java is for writing applications. It's not needed in the browser anymore. So when the vendor's practically begging you to switch technologies and saying, please move on, it's way over time, then, you know, you, I think we all have to help along. So Microsoft, been, it's, it's quite an aggressive move. And I think that, you know, there are commenters on Naked Security who said, oh, but my favorite games, I won't be able to play them. Well, maybe you will. Because quite a lot of people say, oh, you can't do this and that and the other. These, this software requires Flash. And other commenters have come back and said, actually, the version that you're using must be three years old. Because two years ago, I upgraded to a different version, and that hasn't had Flash since then. So not only are you using an old technology that isn't going to get updates, you're also using a really ancient version of the software that you claim needs it. So I think for, for anyone who feels they really, really, really are stuck, there are probably alternatives, possibly even from the vendor who made the flash in the first place, that just require you to move forward a bit. And given the history of zero-day bugs in flash over the years, and the fact that even Adobe wants to get rid of it, then... Let's embrace that and let Adobe get on with something else. It's interesting. Adobe's not 
chiming in on this at all. They're not protesting it. And, and of the dozens of comments we've got, it seems like a, almost a 50-50 split of pe- some people who are like, I don't want, I don't want to lose my flesh. Almost like, how dare they do this? And you're going, well, you know, did, 10 years of having no flash on phones, and that didn't seem to hurt the mobile market. Three and a half years since Adobe said, look, guys, it really is all over. And it's so keenly over that, well, you've still got three and a half years. So it's a long end-of-life announcement. So Flash is dead. Long live Flash, which will right. never actually die. So if you want to read and comment on that story, nakedsecurity.sophos.com. It's called Adobe Flash. It's the end of the end of the end of the road at last. Guys, I need some help with a comment. I just, Ooh. I don't know. I need a like a block or allow on this. It's it's real. This one's, we've done a lot of comment purgatory on these episodes this one is the 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 hardest one yet i think on an article titled want to see who has viewed your facebook profile take care nadia writes the hard part is letting go especially because of the love you have for your significant other and the time you have been together i myself am having trouble with my boyfriend i do not want to let him go you know he's been there with me through my darkest moments in life he is my everything you all y'all I love him so much. I am tearing up. I do not want to lose him. Yeah, there are many people out there, but there are no people like him. And that is why I had to reach out to Dr. N for help. And truly, I found help in him. Dr. N cast an everlasting love spell on my boyfriend so we can be together forever. And now nothing can separate us. My boyfriend and I love each other more now, unlike before. It was only me that loved him. Everything is now on a balance. Thanks, Dr. N. And I left out the part, this commenter leaves Dr. Ren's contact information. If anyone needs a love spell cast on their significant other because you love them more than they love you, I'm happy to put you in touch with Dr. Ren. Just email stips at sophos.com and then Steve <laughs> Tips will forward it to me. So block or allow here. Block. This girl needs help. I'd say you don't believe in true love, Kim, but- It's not true love. Yeah. It's a love spell, Doug. This guy has been uh, taken over by magical forces and forced into feelings that he the, didn't yeah. naturally have. What about this boyfriend? What's, what, about, what about his side? I feel bad for him, quite frankly. Just some unsolicited advice for you, girlfriend. Please. You don't need to love a man who doesn't love you in return. There's plenty of fish out in the sea, as they say. There, uh, you know, you say that there's no one out there like him, and I guarantee you that there is. And maybe you don't need a man who's like him. Blocking it. I'm blocking it. Naked security is not in the business of advertising anybody, whether they are witch doctors, doctors, Bitcoin salespeople, or even people just promoting their own genuine blog. So pretty obviously, it's not going to be allowed. But They seem happy. I'm going to send a wedding gift, and you guys can just sit here and block people, but I like this. Okay, moving on to our next story. Now, this story is largely in thanks to our Sophos Labs team, including Sean Gallagher, who is a threat researcher and writer for Sophos Labs Uncut. And this story is about a relative newcomer in the malware as a service scene um, that is starting to attract some big money ransomware criminals. So according to Sean Gallagher, our Sophos Labs writer, he wrote, 
First introduced in August of 2019, Boor is a Mauer as a service offering that is used to deliver whatever package the service customer desires, providing initial compromise of Target's Windows PCs and allowing them to establish a digital beachhead for further malicious activity. Boor has previously been tied to banking Trojan attacks and other malware deployments, and now, apparently, has been embraced by ransomware operators. In many ways, Boor is positioned as an alternative to Emotet. So, all this being said, duck, does this mean Emotet is dead? Quite the contrary, I think. Well, Emotet, those guys seem to take vacations and they disappear for weeks or months at a time and then they kind of come rolling back. And their name's well known because it looks as though they're not directly interested in ransomware themselves. In other words, their goal is not to infect your computer in order to ransomware it. They're they're good at tricking people into installing malware, and their malware is essentially a loader or a downloader for whatever else you want. And then they they go out on the on the underweb and say, "Well, we've got all these zombies. Uh, we can install whatever you like. Who's bidding?" So it's sort of like uh, online advertising, but in reverse. And uh, so so they 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 come and go. They haven't gone away, and there are plenty of operators in that space. Uh, as Sean said in that article, that Boer is not new. It's about a year old, but it seems to have got some traction among the, the, the big time ransomware guys who are using it presumably as well as rather than instead of Emotet as a, a sort of pay as you go vehicle for getting the beachhead into somebody's network for whatever purpose in the first place. So with Boor, it seems that you can start that they have packages. It seems that go start as little as at as little as three hundred and fifty US dollars, and you get your customized malware that is basically there to download whatever malware you want subsequently, and you get access to a, a sort of server control panel that lets you keep control of your bot, see who's online, learn about the computer, how many CPUs has it got, what versions of this, that, and the other is it running. So you basically get all that infrastructure. So you sort of, it's almost like you have a, a kind of a dial a yield situation for whatever final malware, final badness you want to get up on the network. And these guys are just the, they're the, they're the delivery mechanism. They're, they're basically a, a content delivery network with a management console for other cyber criminals. You mentioned malware players taking a break. I think uh, Chet Wisniewski gave a little presentation to a bunch of us at Sophos a couple of years ago, and was what I thought was really interesting. He said they they do take breaks. The guys that are really behind the big attacks will come out, make a big attack. They'll go underground for two to three years. This was about two to three years ago. He was saying this. He was like, right now, and at that point, we were in a lull of kind of like copycat attacks. So the rest of the like kind of wannabe crooks were kind of living off the remnants of whatever the last big attack was and now here we are two to three years later and we've got all this this big emotet attack and all this kind of resurgence so these guys kind of they hit they go underground for two to three years then they come back out with something new well it's hard to know whether they've actually gone underground or whether they've just popped up with a different mask on you know ransomware with running by a different name it seems with the emotet guys i i mean i don't know maybe they just take vacations they figure well we've made the money we want we're just going to go and loaf off for a while or maybe write some new code or do whatever we feel like 
and then you know when the money runs low we'll we'll come back for more it's also important to remember that a lot of malware out there is based on code that's been around for ages because some of it is open source if you like open at least on to the underground some of it is open open source in that you can just go and download it uh you know without needing an uh, uh, an introduction to some underground forum and there are plenty of crooks out there who write malware for money. You pay them a fee. They produce the ransomware. They don't want to be in the big time. They don't want to be in the spotlight. They don't want to have to deploy the ransomware or the malware themselves or just write it for a fee. So I guess the answer is that it's almost as though cybercrime abhors a vacuum. And if one person stops operating or slows down, then someone else will rise up sadly to fill the void. And here it seems that Emotet went away. These guys came along. Emotet came back. But Bure now seems to be a, a viable, workable alternative that, that mainstream ransomware crooks are using. So even if Emotet did get shut down, they've now got an alternative delivery mechanism. We've been reporting a lot on Ryuk ransomware lately. What is the tie between Bure and Ryuk that labs has found duck well just simply uh that there are cases of ryuk infections and attacks that as far as we can see were orchestrated by means of this boer malware as a service network so the the content delivery network for ryuk was uh the the boer guys now, what the relationship is, what the business relationship is, whether it's the same people, whether it's completely different people, um, I don't think we know. And that's very, very hard to tell. But like I said, it's just an indication that, unfortunately, if you want to do bad stuff online, there are a lot of places to turn to other renegades who will help you do it for a fee, sometimes quite a modest fee if you just want to get in uh, uh, on the small end of the scale. Like I said, 350 bucks will buy you some kind of entry-level package to the Boer scene, apparently. When it comes down to what the average user or what our listeners can do to protect themselves against this, it really comes down to knowing the signs of ransomware, user education. Is there anything else we can add to that? I think the big thing in a story like this and the main purpose of writing it is to remind people about this issue of what does it mean when you see some kind of malware detection that is flagged as a downloader? And mm. for many people, oh, it's a downloader. It doesn't really do anything itself, except that it's the gateway to what happens next. And so... It's all very well to say, well, I want to protect myself against ransomware to the exclusion of all else, because that's all I'm really worried about. But what this is reminding us is that the ransomware generally doesn't arrive fully formed. It comes in on the back of something else. And that might be that you've got a weak password on an RDP or an SSH server, and the crooks are able to just wander in and help themselves. Equally likely, it could be that you had something that seemed unimportant. Oh, it's just a it's just a, a downloader. Like it doesn't really do anything. It's just a program that reaches out to a URL and, and downloads something, whatever it is that comes next, like an automatic updater. And of course, whatever's at the end of that URL, whatever gets downloaded, whatever does come next, can be changed at will by the crooks. And there are guys like this Boo Loader team 
who will help you to do exactly that. They don't care whether you deliver ransomware, data stealers, key loggers, network sniffers, or all of the above, which is a fairly likely scenario, I would imagine. So I think this is just a reminder that this idea that, oh, I saw a malware report, the product I have automatically removed it, now I can just relax, it's all over. Like we've said before, 10 years ago, that was probably a good conclusion. These days, it's almost like when you see the the beginning, it's a sign that what's about to happen is probably going to be a lot worse. So use it as an excuse, as a reason, as a driver to go and look at what might happen on your network if you don't secure it properly. In other words, start at the beginning. Don't wait for the end of an attack to see how it pans out. Even just going back to the article, I love this tip that you left in here, Duck, at the very end, a very practical tip, which I think we can often overlook. But I love how you say, make it easy for users to report suspicious activity. Uh, set up a central mailing list or contact number to act as a cybersecurity 911. Um, and the point being uh, for doing that is cyber criminals don't fish one user and then give up if they fail. So if we set up some sort of early warning, uh, then that can automatically help everyone in the network. So I think that was a really great piece of advice that I, I wanted to mention before we close out on this story. Yeah, and if you if you read one of the many uh, threat response case study stories that we've published recently on various Sophos.com sites, you'll notice that very frequently our rapid response team will get called in because the person calling them feels they need rapid response because they're in the middle of a ransomware disaster right now. And when the guys jump in, they might be able to head off that attack and once they've got it all calmed down and they go looking, they will typically find that they can rewind time, sometimes for days or even weeks, and find that there were many early warning signs. If only somebody had noticed, somebody had had somebody to tell about it. It only takes one person to make a blunder to give the crooks the beachhead they need to begin planning the whole attack. So if somebody says something to someone then that could protect everyone. Great. Well, if you liked what you heard and you want to see those tips or more about Buer, you can head on over to nakedsecurity.sophos.com and check out this article. It is called Buer Loader Malware as a Service Joins Emotet for Ransomware Delivery. And our Sophos Labs threat researchers also have their own article. If you head to news.sophos.com, you can read the detailed report from our own Sophos Labs researchers. Moving on, we have a uh, comment that came through one of our social channels, which is very exciting. And we threw it over to Duck and we were like, you know what, let's talk about this on the podcast because I think this is an interesting topic. The question that was asked, if I search an image on Google Images and click on the image without downloading it, is there a possibility I can be infected by malware? Hmm. An excellent question because you cannot just say no. It's theoretically possible that loading a 
particular, particularly if it's a complicated sort of file, like an image or a video or an audio file, where there's all sorts of compressed and complex data squidged in there and probably in a proprietary format, file format that needs to be unraveled by whatever program you're viewing it in. That in theory, the program you're using, probably going to be your browser in this case, when you click on something like an image or a document or a video or an audio file or whatever it might be, there's a possibility that if there's a bug that crooks know about, but the browser vendor does not, that it could crash your browser by you know, having some kind of mixed up, deliberately mixed up data inside it. And if it can crash your browser, then in theory, it might be possible for somebody to craft that malformed data in just such a way that while your browser's crashing, the person is able to get control, run some code, and that's called a, a drive-by install. It means they're able to run malicious code, implant malware on your computer without going through the usual warning. So technically, it's possible, but have to admit in the modern era, it's considerably unlikely. So you probably don't have to worry too much about that, particularly if you have a decent antivirus that will block files in real time if it finds there is something suspicious about them. For example, they look like they've been deliberately mixed up internally to cause trouble for whatever program you're loading them into. And also, if you have an antivirus that does web filtering, then when you go and try and fetch that site, if it's coming from somewhere that's known to be associated with malicious delivery, then although you might see the thumbnail of the image in Google search, when you click on it to try and open the image, the software just won't let your browser go there. So in my opinion, that combined with the protections in modern browsers that make it hard even for rogue code to escape by mistake if something goes wrong, that I think that that risk is quite manageable these days. But unfortunately, there's no way you could put your hand on your heart and say, it's not possible. You can never, nothing bad can ever happen just by opening an image to look at it. Because when you think about it, to view the image, it requires untrusted data from an outside source to be processed and rendered by software on your computer. And there is always a risk, although it's typically a very small one. Just how this question is phrased, if this person is worried about, the question is if I search an image on Google Images and click on the image without downloading it, if we stop there, is the act of clicking on an image, which then opens it up in your browser, a sort of download? It's being written to memory somewhere, right? Is it? Absolutely, your browser has to suck down the image from an untrusted, from an unknown site. And then to display the image, it basically has to convert it from whatever formats it's in, PNG, JPEG, TIFF. Some of these formats are extremely complicated and they have they can have subcomponents and all sorts of stuff. Videos are even more complicated. It has to take that file and kind of decompose it, possibly with some very complicated programming, in order to convert it into the, the little grid of pixels that you see on your screen. And that's the bit that is not without risk, given the complexity of opening, reading in, uncompressing, and rendering for display a lot of modern formats. So basically, by the time you've displayed the image, your browser has to have it in memory. Of course, there's a little bit of a difference to doing that compared to downloading the file, putting it on your hard disk, and then opening some other application 
and opening up the file in that application because what happens if it isn't really an image? Well, your browser, if it was an executable, would just go, that's not an image, I can't display it. But if you saved it and then opened the file, then your operating system might go, hey, that's a program. It's on your hard disk, therefore it's already trusted. I'm willing to open it and run it. I think the main problem is whenever you are, whenever you do a search, even if it's just for straight text, you still have to ask yourself when the thing comes back, even if it's just for you to view, you still have to be asking yourself, am I prepared to trust what I see, let alone that there might be some booby-trapped stuff in the file? Because another thing that crooks do is to use images that don't have any booby-trapped stuff in them. They don't try and trick your browser. They don't try and do drive-by installs or exploits or shellcode, as it's called. They're basically there so that they display like text. But it means that nothing along the way, particularly for email attachments, it means that there are no words, text words, that can be scanned and looked for by, by security software. So crooks often use images as a way of simply presenting data in an alternative format that you can read as easily as if it were text, but a computer would require a lot more work to do. So it's also a question of do you trust what's in the image, even if it's perfectly legitimate? So Kim, I think we've answered the question. I think you should just tweet this entire episode at this user and say it's buried <laughs> in this 45-minute podcast. But we did answer the question. You're right. In summary, careful what you're Googling. You can see the complexity there. I've, I've, you know, I've made rather a complicated nature of it, but I'd love just to be able to say, no, just clicking it's okay. Um, it's only if you do this or that, or that. it's only if you actually load it and try and resize the image that you'll be in danger. And this is exactly the same problem that we've had for, for decades now with people saying, can I get infected with malware just by reading an email? Or do I have to open any attachment that's in it? And the answer is, well, A, it depends on whether there's a bug in your email program or your browser that could let a booby trap file take over. And B, it depends on what you do with the information that's in the email. Even if it's not directly dangerous to your computer, it could be tricking you into doing something bad. It's like when I asked my accountant, how much do I have to make before the IRS can come after me and audit me? And he said, <laughs> a dollar. And as a reminder, I did get audited. So <laughs> be careful. Yeah. Just as a quick aside, uh, in case people have read stories on nakedsecurity.sophos.com or on the uh, in a Sophos Labs report before about malware that uses image files to download malware, generally speaking, that's a different sort of issue where the image, if you open it, is just a regular image. But there'll be some part of the image, maybe, you know, the bottom left corner or all the gray pixels or whatever can be extracted by malware that is already on your computer and extracted and decoded or decompressed to form some malware file on your computer. So that's a little bit different where the image file is acting as a carrier for malware, but it is not actively infectious by itself because it depends on you already having malware. And the crooks are just putting the stuff in the image file because it's less likely to attract attention from a from a sysadmin or a web filter. So that's another reason why I think that people get worried about image viewing images is you do read stories about crooks using image files in just the same way that they use zip files as a way of transferring their malware in a way that disguises its content 
But if that relies on malware already being on your computer, that's, that's, that's a, a very different story. Moral of the story, if you're searching for those thirst traps on Google, <laughs> probably safe to look, but not to click. <laughs> anyway, we have reached that point in the episode, guys. It is the Ono of the week. Oh, yes. Slim McLean on Reddit writes, I just finished a ticket for a user who claimed that Outlook was deleting all of her emails on its own. I suggest it may be a keyboard issue, but she swears up and down that only Outlook is affected. I've never heard of anything like this, but my go-to fix for weird issues is creating a new mail profile and control panel. As soon as I get the mail profiles window, it's repeatedly trying to delete her existing profile. I ask her to unplug an external keyboard if she has one. And she says, oh, my God, I had my wireless keyboard on the bench next to me and had set something on the delete key. <laughs> what is what is on this? Delete, what, what is that small that you can set perfectly on the delete key? A stapler. A stapler. But why? It's your keyboard. Like, what's wrong with these people? I would never stack anything on a keyboard, period. Yeah, but you might just put a book in the corner of its touching. Yeah. If you think the keyboard isn't connected, or you think the keyboard, maybe you think the keyboard doesn't even work because it hasn't been working for ages because maybe it's been pairing with the computer next door if you're still working in an office. It's actually a, a bit of a, bit of a uh, strong reminder about being careful what you pair with, right? Like mm -hmm. have your headphones really paired with your phone or is what you're just about to say going to somebody else's? Yeah, in the same here, it was okay because the keyboard was paired with the same, you know, obviously been prepaired with the with the right computer. But what if someone lends your keyboard and you're just sitting there? Oh, it doesn't work, and you you put it away and you think no more of it, and then you get it out in the future and turn it on and it comes alive and you start tap tap tapping away and you're putting keystrokes into your into your colleague's computer by mistake. It is worth reviewing what is paired if you use Bluetooth devices and maybe unpair them once in a while so you have to go back in and set it all up again, as painful as that might sound. And if you're trying to pair with something and the pairing isn't working that well, call Dr. Ren. He can cast a spell. <laughs> pairing spell. Yep. It's extremely unlucky that a, out of all the keys on the keyboard, it was the delete key <laughs> that was getting hit. God. <laughs> because at least if it was like the letter K. K, 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 K. You already know that it's like, all right, well, there's definitely a keyboard issue here, but delete. I mean, that kind of opens up the possibilities of uh, other weird things happening. Yeah, I've, I, you know, I've chastised this user, but I, I've done that. I've, like, I've had something on the tab key so that everything keeps switching or the start key and it keeps <laughs> popping yeah, up. Yeah, I've been like, there. What is wrong with this thing? You'd like to think in this case that if all that was being pressed was delete, then emails would, they wouldn't actually have been discarded. They probably were still in the trash somewhere. Right. If anything, I'm more concerned about the other windows she might have had open with that delete key getting mm -hmm. pressed down. You know, imagine she had a spreadsheet open or some Word doc and bye-bye, you know, bye-bye financial quarter, like end of quarter <laughs> results <Yep>. for her. <laughs> um, yeah, so, oh God, oh no's, that's a good oh no. Send us one. Send yes. us a good one. If you have an oh no, hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Naked Security. You can leave an anonymous comment on any of our articles at nakedsecurity.sophos.com. Of course, you can email us tips at sophos.com. So please 
Send me your wild stories. Until next time. You said that you needed some verse, but I found your demands were too terse. So listen up, dude. If you weren't quite so rude, I might feel inclined to take the occasional audio journey away from the regular spoken word and do a couple of poems here and there. Bonus poem! Love it. Until next time. Stay Stay secure. (laughs) Secure. (laughs) This girl needs help.